In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. As Bishop Scarlett noted last week, there is a chronological progression in the Epiphany-tide gospel lessons that reveals Christ to us from infancy through childhood into adulthood and now his ministry. Today's gospel speaks of the first of signs that Jesus performs by changing water into wine at the wedding of Cana in Galilee, as recorded by St. John. The first appearance of water in the scripture is at the beginning, when the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep, the formless and void waters. God spoke, and life was brought out of lifelessness. Much of the story of creation, in fact, is the story of how water is then given shape, place, and purpose, where none existed before, being divided among the waters beneath and above the firmament, in the heavens and on the earth, and then among seas and the streams. Through the creative activity of God and its good place in his work, what was formless and void was made to be a source and a habitat for life. The second appearance of water, however, reveals its other scriptural significance. After the earth had been corrupted through the rebellion of mankind, water became the means of its destruction, the decreation of life. A remnant of living creatures was brought through the waters on the ark, after which God made a covenant with Noah that he would never again flood the world to destroy all flesh. And here we get the first mention of a biblical sign, the bow set in the sky to signify that God was keeping his promise with Noah whenever the waters would fall again upon the earth. We can see in this covenant a redemption of both humanity and water by the word of God in a covenant promise and ratified by a sign. And this establishes a biblical pattern. Through their chastisement and judgment, God delivered them again, delivered again to humanity and water their created place and purpose. The first appearance of wine in the scriptures follows immediately after this restoration, but became a means by which mankind renewed its commitment to corruption. As we read in Genesis, immediately after the covenant was ratified, Noah planted a vineyard and made wine with which he became drunk to the point of unconsciousness. In that state, one of his sons dishonored and shamed his father's body, for which he was cursed by his father and made to flee. This introduction of wine in the scriptures comes by the hand of the man who was brought out of the waters of the flood judgment, but became a source of shame and the exiling of son from father. The second appearance of wine, though, comes in the hands of Melchizedek, the king and priest of Salem, who brings bread and wine to Abraham after his successful victory against the five kings of Sodom. In the hands of this ancient priest, 
Wine came to signify peace and the blessing of God on Abraham's life. Wine signified the promise of God, who had called him from Ur of the Chaldees to be with him and to prosper him. The arrival of Melchizedek with bread and wine is followed immediately by God forming the second covenant of the scriptures, this time with Abraham, promising that through the sign of a beloved son, all the peoples of the world would be drawn together and likewise blessed as God had blessed Abraham. All that we see of water and wine in Genesis is stamped on the subsequent scriptural history of mankind. Water serves as a source of life, but also as a means of judgment. As we observe in Exodus, the waters of the Red Sea became for the Egyptians the site of their destruction, but for the Israelites the place of new birth as a people on the way to the promised land. In the tabernacle and in the temple, water is a means of ritual purification, receiving from those who enter with penitence a, uh, their exterior impurities as a symbolic act that purified them within before God. In a similar way, wine goes on to bear a dual significance. In the hands of Lot's daughters or the dissolute sons of Eli at Shiloh, wine became the undoing and a prophetic image of God's wrath his judgment on mankind's infirmity, and their commitment to self-destruction. Yet in the wisdom literature, wine is the gift of God of a brief reprieve from the curse of toil, of gladness to the heart of man and his travail, and a reminder that toil was not the end of his existence. In the tabernacle and in the temple, of course, wine became a participant in the offerings lifted up to reconcile the people to God. All that we see in Genesis of water and wine remains. That is, until they encounter Jesus Christ. Last week we saw in the Gospel how Jesus, for the only time in the Gospels, goes into the water as opposed to over it or walking on top of it. And in coming up from the water, the Holy Trinity is made manifest over the waters in such a way as had not been known since that first day of creation. Jesus fills the waters with himself, makes them alive again, and conscripts, him, conscripts them to his service as the means of bringing life, his life, to those who would follow after him and do likewise. In doing so, he brings to perfection the covenant with Noah, and this means that creation is beginning to be healed. In today's gospel, that new creation of water comes to appear before its Lord in the vessels of purification at the wedding. There, that element, which had served the end of removing ritual impurity of the wedding guests, as a constant reminder of the flood that had wiped away the corruption of the earth, became suddenly, in the hands of Jesus, a living reminder of life beyond judgment, 
a fountain of festivity and joy, not accounted by the people gathered there, but from someone and something beyond them. There, wine could no longer hurt because it was given with thanks by Jesus to the end of revealing again how God had come to bring consolation and healing at last. On this third Sunday after Epiphany, we start to see more clearly what the coming of Christ will mean for him. That he will suffer, that he will die, and rise again to redeem the church, his bride. As the eternal and faithful bridegroom, his first sign at a wedding points to the end of all things, the whole character and purpose of his mission from the Father, to seek out and to return those who are not yet where they belong, to find the lost children of the Father, and then bring them back to him. But on this third Sunday, we also start to see more clearly what the coming, that what the coming of Christ will mean for us and for the whole creation. In the hands of Jesus Christ, the elements that in times past have served as the instruments of judgment and wrath have been transfigured now as the sacraments that unite us to the life of Christ and to give us a place and purpose in the covenant of Christ's blood. In the hands of Jesus, that place where we leave behind what is unclean and unworthy about us is precisely the place where the joy of the kingdom begins for us, where it springs up for us. There in Cana of Galilee, our Lord beautified the union of a husband and wife with the first sign of the kingdom with the sign that God had come among them to bring them to himself and to redeem the whole creation. His first sign reveals the last things. It signifies the promise of God to bring new life and an immortal joy out of scarcity and fear and judgment and death. For out of the formless and void at the beginning. God called forth life. Out of the solitude of Adam, God called forth his marriage to Eve. Out of the floods of judgment, God called Noah and his family. Out of Ur of the Chaldees, God called Abraham. Out of the slavery of Egypt, he called his free people Israel. And out of captivity, he called a remnant. Out of the world, he calls his church. It is out of our storied and weary pasts that he has called us here this morning as a family. It is out of the differences and the enmity and the alienation that divided us that he has called us here to regard one another as brothers and sisters. It was out of the condemnation that we rightly deserved that he called us to redemption and communion. And it is out of his throne room in heaven now that he calls us forward as his bride to come and to taste the wedding feast 
that is yet to come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.